0: You know, from the moment that you are born again in Christ, you are every single waking moment of your life being tried and tested as to whether you're going to keep the word of God and not deny the name of Jesus. As he tells us himself, Jesus, our saviour, in chapter 3 of Revelation, In verse 8, he says, I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door. No man can shut it, for thou hast a little strength. As in, I know you're tired. I know you're weary. But you got that strength. And you know what that strength is? You kept my word. And you have not denied my name. So he's like, hold on tight. Even though you're worn out, I get it. But hold on tight. Because that's the whole point, friend. That is the whole point. In a world that literally is designed. And I'm telling you, you will notice this. When you give your life to Jesus, you will notice this. It is literally the agents of evil, the agents of the devil, fully demonic. The way people turn on you, the moment that you are simply following God's word and his commands and like not denying Jesus's name, they will turn on you, man. They hate you. They hate you and they want to do everything to make you slip up because that's the point. They're trying to take away your crown and you should not let them take away your crown. As he says in verse 10, Because you have kept the word of my patience, I will also keep you from the hour of temptation, which shall come upon all the world to test them that dwell upon the earth. This is protection during tribulation, which we are certainly not in the tribulation yet, but we absolutely are in the end times. And whilst times are good, quote, yes, by the way, times are still good in comparison to how horrific they shall be in the tribulation. Whilst times are good, we are to be training ourselves in the spirit, putting on the full armor of God, because you must remember it is a spiritual battle. It is constantly, it's a battle through thoughts, through imaginations, through spirits influences, principalities, powers, these are names of positions of authority and power in the spiritual realm, which are in this earth with us, remember? And so even more importantly, in verse 21, that's why he says, to him that overcomes, will I grant to sit with me In my throne, even as I also overcame and am sat down with my father in his throne. And this is Jesus, the one and only speaking. Jesus the Christ, Jesus the Messiah, the saviour of the whole world. Why is he saying even as I also overcame? Because, yeah, he's fully God and he also became fully a man and walked this earth as the perfect expressed image of God to show us how we, as mankind man and woman made in god's image we as mankind are to walk on this earth he showed us the way how to overcome to walk as jesus walked so that's why i said even i also overcame like he didn't he didn't take any shortcuts anything that's a shortcut or a or a hack or a trick is is evil it's got nothing to do with the goodness of god god knows that these it takes trial, it takes tribulation to build your character, to build your integrity. He's like, I overcame everything. He was a perfectly sinless man. And this is what this episode is all about, is I want to show you, not all of them, because as I began writing down since the last several hours, I can't even remember when I started, I think it was two and a half hours ago, to reference and write down all of the scriptures within the Old Testaments that that lead to and prophesies about Jesus' coming, not only his first coming, where he came to um, rescue us from all of our sins and cleanse us from all our sins, but also his second coming. And I honestly, I began laughing and I just said, Lord, it's all, it's all about you, all the scriptures about you. And I know this, this isn't for me, like I know this, but this is to teach people to understand that It is not a new God. It is not a different God. The God of the Old Testament is not some different God. God is the same yesterday, today and forever. Jesus is the same yesterday and today and forever. And you best believe and know and understand that Jesus is King and Jesus is Lord and he will reign. His kingdom will come on earth as it is in heaven. And he is your only way to life When I say he's your only way to salvation, you don't even know what I'm talking about if you've never read the scriptures. Salvation means that your life is being literally saved from eternal damnation. Because you don't just cease to exist after this. There is such a thing as resurrection and life after death. But not the kind of life after death that some believe, which is the whole reincarnating into 50,000 things or you just going on some spiritual journey into nothingness or, or, or energy fields and stuff. It's none of that, man. It's none of that. Your entire existence is, is, is explained to you in the scriptures. You want to learn about yourself? Read the Bible. You want to learn about reality? Read the Bible. You want to learn about real history? Read the Bible. You want to learn what actually we are, like where, what earth is, what, the, what heaven is, what the skies are, the heavens? Like You want to learn what all that is? Read the Bible. God will tell you, and you can call upon him. His phone number is Jeremiah, chapter 33, verse 3. That's God's phone number. You call upon him, and it says, Call unto me, and I will answer you, and show you great and mighty things which you know not. Anytime you call upon God in spirit and in truth, so like you really mean it, he'll answer you. And here's the whole like secret of the whole thing, how you know that you're in Christ and that he's doing his perfecting and his sanctification in you as you continue in this life. Is how faithful you are to him. Are you faithful to him? Like, do you have an actual relationship with him? And honestly, the perfect example of this, which to this day you read even in the book of Revelation, just how pleased God was with King David. That man had a heart after God. And no, that does not mean he was a perfect, sinless man. He wasn't. There was no such man other than Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Which is why he came to save all of us. The only one that could. The only blood that can redeem us. God himself in the flesh. Saving all of his children back to himself. Those at least who answered the call. But salvation is offered to everybody because he wishes none to perish. That doesn't mean that people don't perish, though, because that's your will. Your will is whether you decide to accept the grace of God, his mercy, with thanksgiving, or you decide to deny it in spite and hatred and choose choose damnation and choose to fall. And what does it mean to be a man after God's heart? It means that he called upon the Lord. He called upon God. He trusted in God. He came to God for counsel every single time. In good times, in bad times, no matter the situation, God was his number one. God was always his number one. He, that, faith to me like is so much clearer when you explain it in being faithful, like in a relationship, being faithful Not going astray, not betraying. It's loyalty. There's trust. There's a respect. There's a loving bond. That's what God's looking for. That's what He's literally looking for. Are you loyal and faithful to Him? No matter what kind of season or situation is going on in your life. Again, David was not a perfect man, but he called upon the Lord and he was always to keeping to his statutes and tests but he was always wanting to do the best that he can but in nonetheless through the trials and tribulations of life he never turned to somebody else and said hey what do you think or what, what you should do or go and bribe somebody to help him no he always called upon the lord first should i go into this battle or not am i going to win it or not do you, should i go and do this or not should i stay should i go Should I continue? What should I do in this case? He always seeked counsel from God. And he did so in front of everybody publicly, being a perfect example of a godly person. And he had that, like, this, it's like this joyful spirit where he was, like, constantly praising and glorifying God in all kinds of ways. Like, he wasn't embarrassed to do that. Like, he really loved God. And so whilst it's not going to be just limited to what I'm going to go through today, albeit it is a lot, I can just assure you that there's way more than what I'm going to go through in just today's episode of prophecies and examples within the Old Testament prophesying about Jesus and that he is the saviour of the world and the only way to salvation. And he is the one that you know, the, the Israelites and the Jews were waiting for and still wait for to this day, many of them. And I believe we're coming back to a time now leading into, again, the end times as we are leading into the tribulation. A time where your faith is either like the ones in the book of Acts or it's not at all. Like the message Christ's message to the Laodicean church, which is that you're neither hot nor, I'd rather you're hot or cold because if you're lukewarm I will spit you out of my mouth. Meaning that there is no in between it is either you are fully dedicated to Christ you're fully loyal to him you don't cheat on him with other gods you don't have other idols on the side he's not just one of your gods he's not just one of your you know kings in your in your tool belt he's not just another thing that you use to try and quote manifest something you need in your life it's just him you're loyal he is He is jealous over us with a godly jealousy. It's the same. That's why he always uses the marital relationship as an example or the parent to child relationship as an example, because it's a very clear example of that, how strong a bond is in those cases. And for example, with a husband or a wife, how obviously there is a form of um, jealousy if one goes astray. And if that wasn't there, then you didn't love the person to begin with. Of course, in today's world, that's looked at as a whole other thing, because today's world, there's no such thing as loyalty. There's no such thing as faithfulness. There's no such thing as any kind of love or grace or kindness or compassion. It is simply be as cold-hearted and um, uh, get what you want from somebody, and that's that. But that's not what God's love's about, and that's what he's constantly saying throughout all of the scriptures, always like you're behaving like a harlot, You're behaving like a whore going over to other gods all the time. And then you want to come up and ask me something? You want to come to my prophet and be like, hey, do you mind inquiring of the Lord about, you know, my future? Is my future going to be prosperous? And he's like, you just came back from like, you know, worshipping five other gods. Why on earth should I speak to you right now? Again, ultimately, it's super simple to understand. It's really simple when you bring it down to that level like of just human relationship. But a lot of people, of course, they just want to deny it because they want to deny God, because they love their darkness. They love to be evil. They love to be wicked. And that's that's the clear differentiator. It's so clever. It's such an intelligent thing. Like the scripture, that's why it's called the sword of the spirit, because it cuts in the heart. The moment that people hear the word of God, it's either going to like... Make you repent and then seek God, or it's going to make you cringe and get all angry and aggressive or run away. It's a very clear differentiator of who belongs to God and who doesn't, so it's extremely powerful. So, like in the book of Acts, they were fully on fire for God, they were so passionate, and God's looking for that. That's what David was too. That's the faithfulness you're passionate about him. You're passionate about God. You're passionate about the fact that the whole purpose in this life is to have salvation and to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Saviour and to help as many people come to that realisation as possible. And so, like in the book of Acts, in chapter 5, I mean, there's so many gems in the book of Acts, but I'll just say this part here, where they were put into prison so many times, many of them were martyred in the end. Uh, They were killed in the name of Jesus, as Jesus even said, what happened to many, many believers. Um, But they came straight out of prison and they just continued teaching, teaching. That's all they're doing, by the way. They're just teaching the word of God. Can you you see how, how can that be classed as like something dangerous? We're getting to that exact same spot today. You're not allowed to do many things like that today. You're not even allowed to pray in certain areas, so-called, like to yourself and so they just they fully bold in their faith continued because God was with them. They know when it's part of God's will, they had the faith to do it. They were faithful to God because what's more important? There is nothing more important than God when you're fully dedicated to Him. And so now they're getting told like they're being caught again. Like they're they're preaching and teaching in the synagogue, and these like. Pharisees come back to me like, didn't we tell you you shouldn't teach in in this person's name, in Jesus' name, and behold you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. And in verse twenty nine in chapter five of Acts, Peter said, Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. And that's a teaching that a lot of people should consider today, because a lot of people obey men rather than God, because they're afraid of men more so than they're afraid of God. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you killed and hanged on a tree. Him hath God exalted with his right hand to be prince and saviour, for to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are his witnesses of these things. And so also is the Holy Ghost, whom God has given to them that obey him. That's right. When you're born again, You bear witness of Jesus through the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit is witness within you of Jesus. As I've mentioned to you before, everybody has a personal revelation of Jesus when they're born again. Like he literally changes your heart. You're not the same person anymore. And that is the Holy Spirit bearing witness in you that you have obeyed his word. You have obeyed the word, which is Jesus And so with that, let's go into the first, let me just drive straight into it, into all the scriptures, not all of them, but many of them that in the Old Testament are telling us of Jesus is coming. And by the way, that's the first coming and the second coming. And I think this is where... Uh, a lot of people like to use excuses to then like argue, no, that's not about Jesus or whatever and, and that. And by the way, this is what they were doing throughout all of the book of Acts, is they were continuously, and then also in all the epistles, is that they, they were continuously reasoning with people and showing them within the scriptures. What scriptures did they have? They didn't have the New Testament. The apostles only had the Old Testament, the Torah, all of Moses' writings and the prophets. And through those teachings, they were showing and proving to everybody that Jesus was the Messiah, Jesus was to come to save the world, like, he came, and he's very much alive still right now, and doing well, call upon his name, and you shall know, and so they were doing that all the time, they were utilizing the Old Testament to show you, like, here, it's right there written, and for some people that, that works, and for other people it doesn't, in fact, there's a section in the New Testament, I can't remember where it is, where it says, like, the Jews seek after the sign and the Romans seek after knowledge or something like that, or wisdom. And I was like, yeah, that makes a lot of sense because I'm the one that needed the knowledge. So I got a sign from God. That was the first thing I got, which was in Jesus' name, the spiritual attack being um, ended in... Basically, he gave... There was a whole setup of a dream I had where it was a dream that was being being manipulated by a dark entity somebody was tampering with in it with it then i became aware in the dream which i never have ever before in my life nor do i know how to do that i became aware in the dream and then i became aware that there was a negative dark energy in the dream and i just instantaneously knew somehow to call out to the name of jesus to 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 end it to which before i could even speak je I was thinking, obviously, the name Jesus and it just everything ended and I woke up and I was fully at peace. And that's just one example. That was one of the first things that did not. It's not that that made me go, oh, yeah, I believe in Jesus now and, you know, give my life to Jesus. No, from then on, many other things happened for me. But most importantly, I bought the Bible and I began reading the scriptures and it was through God's word. It was through God's word that sanctified and convicted me and made my heart contrite and made me understand the truth it was through the knowledge and the wisdom, but others need the the sign right so he's saying like there's the different ways that people people come to realize the truth and so because I am more the one that's going to be talking about wisdom and knowledge, I always have been such a person, then that's the way I teach that's why I'm always teaching you from the word I'm not just sitting here speaking about personal experiences. Because ultimately, it isn't only just about your personal experiences. And you should be cautious when no one is actually teaching you from the word of God. And they're just basically riffing on something they experienced in, in their life. And then they think that that's just of God. And then they're just, they're just never speaking of God's word. Because you've got to remember God's word is what's actually sanctifying you. God's word is what's doing its work within you to change you. And I'm going to go to one of the first ones here in Jeremiah chapter 23. Verse 5, Behold, the days come, says the Lord. This is, by the way, Jeremiah, again, prophet. So this is thousands of years before Christ, right? Behold, the days come, said the Lord, that I will raise unto David a righteous branch and a king shall reign and prosper and shall execute judgment and justice in the earth. In his days, Judah shall be saved and Israel shall dwell safely. And this is his name whereby he shall be called the Lord our Righteousness. Now, this is referring to Jesus's second coming and his reign in the millennial kingdom. Now, this is what I was uh, explaining or beginning to explain earlier, which is that as you're reading prophecy, prophecy has got like this blending of time going on. It's not linear. So when you're reading the books of the prophets, when you're reading Isaiah, Jeremiah, Daniel, uh, Micah, uh, Zechariah and so on, all of them, It's not a linear thing. It's not like, then this will happen, then this will happen. Prophecy is not like that. So as you're reading, even within one chapter, you could be reading about events that happened already, are happening, going to happen, going to going to happen after that. Okay? So that's the first thing you've got to understand. So throughout all of the book of Isaiah especially, there is a lot of that back and forth, back and forth. And there is so much in the book of Isaiah that's also about the second coming. And there's a mixture of both. There's a mixture of when he first came, when Jesus first came to die for our sins so that we actually had a chance of life. And then there's all about his second coming, which hasn't happened yet, which we are all still yet to see. Okay. And so what you have a lot of at the moment is, for example, anyone who is today, let's say uh, what's classed as a Jew from the Israelite nation, as in those that, um, are from the Jewish faith because it's an entire religion in itself. They still be- are awaiting the first coming of the Messiah, so they deny Jesus as a Messiah. Okay, not only do they deny him as a Messiah, um, they they wrote really horrific things about him in the Talmud. And it don't, it won't take you more than five minutes to look up what it says because I'm not repeating it. It is absolutely vile and disgusting what they said about Jesus. So anyone that does believe in Jesus, they literally despise those people. Um, And yet your very books, like your own prophets, wrote about him. It's amazing. So uh, let's get into, into that. So that was the first one. That was in Jeremiah chapter 23. But I wanted to then take you to Luke 24. So I'm just going to be going through lots of different scriptures right now. So you can follow with me. If you have your Bible, hopefully you do. In Luke 24, Jesus himself, after he had resurrected from the dead, says to them in verse 25, O fools and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? So do you see how he's saying to them as if, did you guys even read the scriptures talking about all of the Old Testament, so all of the Torah? It's like, didn't you guys even read the scriptures, because it should kind of be obvious to you that I came here to suffer for all your sins and to die and resurrect. That's literally how he's speaking to them, okay? Then in verse 27, he says, And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded or he expanded unto them and explained all the scriptures, the things concerning himself, Mate, how I would have loved to have been there in that teaching session. He sat there and he was like, let me show you now through all the scriptures, all the things concerning me, all the things concerning my coming Jesus. Like how incredible. And that's why like a lot of what they did in the book of Acts was doing that. And that's what I'm also have been doing in a few of my different teachings. But today I want to very specifically focus on it. And then also in verse 44, in the same chapter, Luke 24, he says, And said unto them, These are the words which I spoke unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled, because prophecy must be fulfilled. It means a prophecy that God has given, which, by the way, only, only something ordained from God can be given as a prophecy. So there's no such thing. As a non God ordained prophecy, that would be a lie. That would be somebody doing some kind of witchcraft manipulation and attempting to make you do whatever that thing is that they're telling you is going to happen in the future. Do you understand? It's only God that knows the future and can tell you it through his ordained, like if he gives a prophet to tell you, or through a dream, or through a vision, etc. So, um, while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled, which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. Again, I just a quick thing to remind you here, guys. Everything points to Jesus, okay? Literally everything points to Jesus. Because you know why? Because Jesus is king. Jesus is king of kings, Lord of lords. Every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus is Lord. Why is that? Because he has all power and all authority in heaven and in earth. If you don't understand what that means, go and listen to the episode. I think it's number 22 or 3 where I said uh, authority, power and glory in Jesus name. Literally, if you imagine God's kingdom set up and yes, he does have a kingdom, Jesus is the ultimate power and authority that's why his name carries so much power and weight and again you can literally verify this for yourself when you call upon the name of Jesus in truth not not trying to find some you know oh let me you know let me find some kind of error in it no because he knows he can't deny himself so if you're calling upon him with skepticism that's not faith that's not faithfulness you're not trusting him and he can't deny himself meaning that he can't show up for you when you're not even believing in him therefore you're assuming you're calling to him in a lie do you understand so that's why he won't show up he only show up if you if it's in truth then opened he their understanding that they might understand the scriptures and said unto them, Thus it is written, and thus it behoved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And guess what, guys? That ain't change. It's the same for all of us today. Anyone that is born again, anyone that is a believer in Christ, that is your duty. It is your duty to share the fact that you are saved through your, very, through your very gratitude that you've been saved. To share that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations. And you are witnesses of these things. And behold, I sent the promise of my father, the promise of my father upon you, which is the Holy Spirit. But tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until you be endued with the power from on high, And it came to pass while he blessed them and he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. They worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they were continually in the temple praising and blessing God. Amen. And so even Jesus himself in the end, after his resurrection, that is his parting message to all of them. He's like... Preach the gospel, tell everybody to repent and that I can, the only one that can remit them of their sins. They need me. People need to humble themselves in order to be saved. People need to accept Jesus Christ in order to be saved. It is an open invitation, but it requires your mutual consent. He doesn't force anybody, but it's a serious matter because it's a matter of life and death. And he's confirming and reaffirming all of these things. In the book of Revelation. So let's go to Isaiah chapter 53, which is probably one of the biggest ones on this, but there's plenty of them to be honest. But let's start there Isaiah chapter 53 Who has believed our report, and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. He has no form nor comeliness, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. So the part that's interesting really about this, before I continue, is that this is not somebody, okay, that's a celebrity, not someone that's famous, not someone that's highly esteemed, not someone that is highly attractive or desired. Saying is basically an average man, maybe even less than is like someone that's just like you wouldn't even notice them walking down the street. So he's explaining how Jesus will look. And the the strange thing I actually find about the way um a lot of uh people in the in the land there now who actually do follow the Torah to some extent. Again they have their own scriptures which is the Talmud which actually isn't the Bible so I, I don't even know like there's a lot of their own you know writings in there. But they're awaiting a Messiah that is like a, they're awaiting someone like a King David in the sense of like a a warrior that is coming to destroy and and basically take over all the land there. Like a, a political leader is what they're waiting for. But yet even in their own scriptures, like even in the prophet Isaiah, which is an esteemed prophet by the Jews and the Israelites, as far as I'm aware, he's saying like, In many ways, like, this person is not going to be highly esteemed. This person, and I'm going to, we're going to get further into it. You're going to see that he's going to be a very humble person. Not a person of war at this time, at this coming, right? Listen, he is despised and rejected of men. We could say that very much so of Jesus. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Now that especially, especially to where he was born, again, being born in uh, from the seed of David in the Jewish land at the time, like of his own, quote, people, he was despised and rejected. Absolutely, that is the case of Jesus. Okay, let me continue. Verse 4, surely he has borne our griefs. As in he, he, he took on our griefs. Interesting, why would he say that? Let's carry on. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. So he's saying like, they're looking upon him as if he's cursed by God. And I'm, again, if you read what's written about Jesus in the Talmud, oh yeah, that's what they think of him. They think that Jesus was a sinner. And that he is in hell. Um, I can't even, I really can't repeat the words that's written about. Like literally, it brings me to tears. Uh, so yes, this verse, again, you've got to see how far in advance this is prophesying something that's happening to this day. We're talking thousands of years span. This is why you've got to understand that prophetic language is not so linear and then this and then that. Okay. Verse five. But he was wounded for our transgressions. Hold up. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. What is a transgression and iniquity? Those are only references in relation to God. So all for all of our sins against God, he was wounded and bruised. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes, we are healed. With his wounds, we are healed. Isn't it a strange thing to say that with somebody else's wounds, that we would be healed? Because Jesus' death is what heals our sins. He is the perfect atonement. Continue. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. Uh, yeah, so this is all of us being lost, nobody being connected to God, many of us not even knowing God, right? Those of us that would be classed as Gentiles, including those who were supposed to be God's people. Uh, in is- as Israel, the people of Israel, they'd all gone astray. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all, all, not just one, not just the one group of people, everybody. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Now listen, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter. Jesus is the lamb. He's constantly referred to as the lamb. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before the shears is dumb. So he opened not his mouth. This is the constant persecution that Jesus went through and he did not defend or justify himself at all they mocked him they did all kinds of horrible things they completely tortured him and he didn't stand there saying like you can't do this to me because it was prophecy he was supposed to go through it and i'll show you that later as well in that you think that he couldn't have saved himself you think that he couldn't have just wiped everyone out around it of course he could have but he came to do god's will the father's will which was to die and resurrect for us so that we may be redeemed. He was taken from prison, that's right, he was also put into prison. He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who shall declare his generation? As in so who sh- by that meaning like who's his like offspring? Like who shall declare his offspring because it's like he's basically been he, he'll be he he'll be cast off the earth. For he was cut off out of the land of the living. Meaning he died. That's correct. He did die. Jesus died. For the transgression of my people, he was stricken. So he was put on the cross and he was whipped and severely suffered, severely tortured, and died for the transgression of his people, of humanity. And he made his grave with the wicked. Where are the wicked? Where's the grave of the wicked? In hell. He went into the depths of the earth for three days and three nights, then resurrected again. And with rich in his death. Now, why does it say with rich in his death? Jesus was buried in the tomb of a rich man. Because he hath done no violence, neither was there any deceit in his mouth. Now, this is clarifying to you that Jesus was absolutely innocent. He was a sinless man. So it says, he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich and his dead because he did no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Talking about the sinless death, talking about the death that he did was purely for us, not because of anything that he deserved in terms of justice or judgment. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He had put him to grief when thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin. So remember, he is the perfect lamb. At that time, they would do offerings of sin through literal um, calves and lambs and goats and etc., continuously, all the time, to retain remission of sins. However, it wasn't working and nobody would stop sinning and it was anyway just like a covering. It wasn't truly changing people's hearts. Whereas with the blood of Christ, after he resurrected, he then sent out the Holy Spirit which is literally God's spirit dwelling, dwelling within everybody who dies to themselves to then live to Christ. Now, now, what's also interesting here, it says it pleased the Lord to bruise him. Why is that? Well, that, in, if, when I read that, that instantaneously reminded me of Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. where it says, and I will put, this is after they'd sinned and uh, the serpent, he's, God is talking to the serpent, which is Satan, uh, and to the, to the woman and the man, Adam and Eve. I will put enmity, which is discord. I will put discord between the, you and the woman, as in you, Satan, and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. Seed is your offspring, So that's like the children of disobedience and the children of God. I will put enmity between your seed and her seed. And there is very much a seed war to this day. Again, book of Daniel chapter two, where it says they will try to mix their seed with us, but they won't be able to cleave because iron does not mix with clay. And that's talking about the true, true tribulation times with the whole transhumanism thing and the merging of the demonic and the returning of things like Nephilim and all the rest of that. Like the world will look very different. And horrifying. It shall bruise, listen, it shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. So Jesus on the cross, okay, though his heel was bruised, so it says the Lord, it pleased the Lord to bruise him. Why? Because it's his heel that was bruised so that he could bruise the serpent's head, destroying the serpent because he defeated death by taking the keys back from Satan when he went down into the earth for the three days and three nights when he then went up to resurrect, to reclaim the kingdom. Because it's not that God doesn't um, rule. It's that humanity gave the keys to Satan when we sinned. That's the thing. So from the first Adam, that's why Jesus is called the last Adam, because he's the one that then actually did as God intended humanity to do. And reclaimed life, the blessing of life, and ended the curse of sin and death. Do you understand? So that's why it says it pleased the Lord to bruise him. Because if you look at the bigger picture, his heel was bruised so that he could bruise the head of the serpent, Satan. So he could finally put an end to his mischief and rebellion that has basically plagued this entire earth. when you shall make his soul an offering for sin. I mean, couldn't be clearer than that. An offering for sin? It's exactly what Jesus was and did. He shall see his seed. That's his offspring. He shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. And that's him resurrecting, coming back to to rule in the millennial reign. And his seed is us, those that are born again. We are grafted into Israel, the citizenship, the spiritual citizenship as is Israel. So not about you being a specific bloodline. As it is written in scripture, God is able even to, from a stone to turn, into a, uh, to turn into a descendant of God. So not to all those people that love to talk about, oh, it's some certain bloodline or whatever. It's nonsense. Don't listen to that. He shall see... The travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. Okay, he's saying he shall see the travail of Jesus' soul and be satisfied. By his knowledge, the knowledge of Jesus, shall my righteous servant, Jesus, justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. That's why he's like, it satisfies me because through his righteousness and the knowledge of Jesus, through having the testimony of Jesus, He shall bear their iniquities, as in we shall be saved. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bare the sins of many, and he made intercession for the transgressors. He is our high priest and intermediator to God, as I've told you before. You come to the Father through Jesus. He is the only way. And before that, your relationship to him was done. It was like signed papers of divorcement, never going back. Like God don't want to know. Like abandoned, done. Because you didn't want to know him either. Or we knew not of him at all. And Jesus reconciles you to that relationship. So just this chapter alone is like, it's insane the amount of Prophecy in that and the clarity that, that I talking about a person number one. And it's talking about Jesus. Because there is a little bit of uh oh no no, this is not talking about a person, like one singular person. Although obviously it is if you read the context of how everything I just read to you. But some people will be like, oh no, it's talking about the whole nation of Israel, because within the same chapter there's talking about God's people in Israel and I'm like yes but you don't understand when you're reading prophecy that's what happens it's not linear he does that all the time when you know God's word then you can understand this and God's character even within the book of Moses and all the other books you can see it whenever a prophet was speaking literally thus saith the Lord and speaking out God's words sometimes he'll go he'll go from like speaking first person to then speaking third person or what have you like because he's giving different examples and different situations and talking about different timelines. And so that's why within like a previous chapter or the other chapter that there is actually, he is talking about Israel as a people and then he is also talking about Jesus as an individual. For yeah, of course, you can't speak, it doesn't even make logical sense to say something like this person is despised and rejected of men, um, They he wasn't esteemed and he bore our griefs and he was afflicted and he will bear our transgressions. We like sheep have gone astray and we've laid on him iniquity of us all. How, that doesn't make sense if you try to apply it to like a whole group of people or some analogy of a nation. It just doesn't. But that's what, again, some of the people that want to deny Jesus will say that. But it just doesn't even logically make sense when you're simply just reading the scripture rationally. And it even says, like within the f- previous one, Isaiah 52, chapter, uh, verse 13, Behold, my servant shall deal prudently. He shall be exalted and extolled and be very high. And now I will go also to number 42, Isaiah 42. Let's go there. Behold, my servant, who I uphold, my elect, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He shall bring forth judgment to the Gentiles. He shall not cry, nor lift up, nor cause his voice to be heard in the street. As in he's humble, he's not, out, he's not some warrior coming to fight. Jesus wasn't any of those things. He didn't come to fight anybody. He didn't come to conquer. He didn't come to rule, did he? He said, I've come for the lost sheep of the house of Israel to save them. He's come to call sinners to repentance. His second coming in Revelation is clearly different. It's him coming to roar with a rod of iron. Okay? But see how it's talking about the two different ones. He shall not cry, nor lift up, nor cause his voice to be heard in the street. A bruised reed shall he not break, and the smoking flax shall not he quench. He shall bring forth judgment unto truth. So this is like, he shall not rest until judgment and justice be brought and his non-violent approach that it's referring to here. He shall not fail nor be discouraged till he has set judgment in the earth, and the isles shall wait for his law. Thus said God the Lord, he that created the heavens and stretched them out, he that spread forth the earth and that which comes out of it, he that gives breath unto the people upon it, and the spirit to them that walk therein. I, the Lord, have called thee in righteousness and will hold thine hand and will keep you and give you for a covenant. I will give you for a covenant. Jesus is the covenant with God. Like us, reconcile to God. I will give you for a covenant to the people, for a light to the Gentiles. Hello? A light to the lost, a light to the people that that don't know him. The Gentiles just mean foreigners, the nations that don't know him. To open the blind eyes, to bring out the prisoners from the prison. So to set people free, the truth shall set you free. Jesus is the truth, the way and the life. To open the blind eyes, to bring out the prisoners from the prison and them that sit in darkness out of the prison's house. I am the Lord, that is my name and my glory will I not give to another, neither my praise to graven images. So this is the acknowledgement that he is the only one. Like, why do people keep going out and seeking salvation or seeking joy and happiness or prosperity or whatever else from all of these idols made with hands? He's like, I'm the one, I have spoken it. And guess what? When he speaks a prophecy, it comes to pass. That's how you know it's God. So he's like, I am the one, I am the Lord, that is my name and my glory will I not give to another. And absolutely his prophecies come to pass. He showed us that throughout all of the Old Testament and continuously. Still to this day, he shows us that in Jesus' name. And so we see this is also referred to in Matthew chapter 12, verse 16. Let's go there. And charged them that they should not make him known, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, Behold, my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved, in whom my soul is well pleased, I will put my spirit upon him, and he shall show judgment to the Gentiles. We just read that, and this is now Jesus saying the same thing to, to everybody in Matthew, in the Gospels. He shall not strive nor cry, neither shall any man hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed shall he not break, and smoking flax shall he not quench, till he send forth judgment unto victory. And in his name shall the Gentiles trust. Then was brought unto him one possessed with a devil, blind and dumb, and he healed him insomuch that the blind and dumb both spoke and saw, and all the people were amazed and said, Is this not the son of David? And this is the other thing, like so, he was so pleased with David, okay, again, showing you that the man's heart was so faithful to God that he calls himself the seed of David, as well as the king of David, as well as having the keys of David, he, the throne of David. He's, of course, referring to his own everlasting throne, but he continuously uses the name of David to show you just how much of a godly man he was. How much he loved Christ. Not because he was perfectly righteous, but he certainly wasn't uh, uh, um, a careless sinner. He was very serious about God's commandments and to do them. But it was his commitment and dedication to God and his constant looking to the Lord for answers and nobody else, which is why God's like, I always have David's back. Because he always looks to me. That's why he was able to like do all the miracles and incredible things he could do. Which no other person could do. And everyone knew that David's clearly got clearly got God on his side. Because he constantly was able to do things with such few people all the time. And everybody had massive armies. And David had God. <laughs> Carrying on, Isaiah 26 verse... Uh, 19 to 21, thy dead men shall live, not the dead, thy dead, your, your dead, who, dead in Christ, your dead men shall live together with my dead body, hello, shall they rise, <laughs> awake and sing you that dwell in the dust, for thy dew is as the dew of herbs and the earth shall cast out the dead, this is talking about the first resurrection of those that died in Christ shall resurrect in Christ unto the first resurrection to reign with him in the millennial reign. Come, my people, enter thou into thy chambers and shut thy doors about thee. hide yourself as it were for a little moment until the indignation be overpassed. This is in in the tribulation time, for behold, the Lord comes out of his place to punish the inhabitants of the earth again. this is the end this is in the book of Revelation. Out of his place to punish the inhabitants of the earth for their iniquity, the earth also shall disclose her blood and shall no more cover her slain. In that day, the Lord with his sore and great and strong sword shall punish Leviathan the piercing serpent, even Leviathan that crooked serpent, and he he shall slay the dragon that is in the sea. That's referring to when he puts Satan back into. That's in Revelation chapter twenty, verse two. Let's go there quickly. Again, I'm constantly going like between Old and New Testament, showing you the fulfillments of different uh, prophecies and also still yet to come ones. Twenty, twenty, twenty. Verse two. Did I say? And he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil, and Satan, and bound him a thousand years and cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal upon him that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years should be fulfilled. And after that, he must be loosed a little season. That's in Revelation, talking about what we just read in Isaiah, uh, literally at the first resurrection, that Satan's going to be put away for a thousand years, whilst the thousand years millennial reign is before all of eternity comes with the new heaven and the new earth. Then we have uh, Isaiah 27, verse 1 and 2, uh, which I just said as well, sorry. Then Isaiah 24, 20 to 23. The earth shall reel to and fro like a drunkard and shall be removed like a cottage and the transgressions thereof shall be heavy upon it and it shall fall and not rise again. This is talking about the, literally the end of the world in book of Revelation. And it shall come to pass in that day that the Lord shall punish the host of the high ones that are on high, meaning Satan and his fallen angels, and the kings of the earth upon the earth. So also all people who are wicked and who are also in those... Positions of leadership, as well as everybody else who is wicked and has pledged their allegiance to Satan through the mark of the beast. And they shall be gathered together as prisoners are gathered in the pit, and shall be shut up in the prison, and after many days shall they be visited. Again, what we were just talking about, which is the being bound for a thousand years. Then the moon shall be confounded, and the sun ashamed, when the Lord of hosts shall reign. In the Mount Zion, in Jerusalem, and before his ancients, gloriously. Mm, Yeah, that is also in Revelation 19, verse 1 to 9. And after these things, I heard a great voice of much people in heaven saying, Hallelujah, salvation and glory, honour and power unto the Lord our God. For true and righteous are his judgments, for he has judged the great whore, which did corrupt the earth, which her fornication, that's mystery Babylon, and hath avenged the blood of his servants at her hand. Remember, vengeance belongs to God. That's why you don't avenge yourself of anybody here on earth. And again, they said, hallelujah, and her smoke grows up forever and ever. And the four and twenty elders, or twenty-four elders, and the four beasts fell down and worshipped God, that sat on the throne saying, amen, hallelujah. I just read to you that he was before his elders in Isaiah. And a voice came out of the throne saying, praise our God, all ye his servants and you that fear him, small and great. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude and as the voice of many waters and the voice of mighty thundering saying, hallelujah, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Let us be glad. And rejoice and give honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb is come and his wife has made herself ready. Isaiah 25. Six and four. And in this mountain, so this is Isaiah 25, six. And in this mountain shall the Lord of hosts make unto all people a feast of fat things, a feast of wines of the lees, a fe- fat things full of marrow and of wines and lees well refined. This is talking about the wedding supper in Revelation. Do you see how it's talking about both comings, the first coming and the second coming? That's why prophecy shows you it's both of them. And he will destroy in the mountain the face of the covering cast over all the people. So this is like apocalypse reveal and removing of the veil. It's a spiritual sight. He will swallow up death in victory and the Lord God will wipe away tears from off all faces and the rebuke of his people shall he take away from all the earth for the Lord has spoken it. And it shall be in that day, lo this is our God, it shall be said in that day, lo this is our God, we have waited for him and he will save us. This is the Lord, we have waited for him, we will be glad and rejoice in his salvation. And that's what I just read to you in Revelation chapter 19 as well. Isaiah chapter 11, let's go there, verse 1 to 5. And there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. Again, Jesus is the root of Jesse. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest in him, upon him the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. And he shall make him of quick understanding in the fear of the Lord. And he shall not judge after the sight of his eyes, neither reprove after the hearing of his ears, but with righteousness shall he judge the poor and reprove with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall smite the earth with the rod of his mouth And with the breath of his lips shall he slay the wicked. And righteousness shall be the girdle of his loins, and faithfulness the girdle of his reins. And that is also Revelation chapter 19 as well. 11 to 16, and I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called faithful and true, and in righteousness does he judge and make war. So, you see the difference between the two comings, the difference between why Jesus came first and how he's going to be when he comes back. First time was for grace and mercy, second time will be for judgment and justice. His eyes were as a flame of fire and on his head were many crowns and he had a name written that no man knew but he himself and he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood and his name is called the Word of God. Oh yes he is, the Word of God. Jesus is the Word. The Word made flesh and the Word itself spoken life into existence. God speaks and he creates everything. And Jesus is the Word. The manifest word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron, and he treads the winepress of the fierceness and the wrath of Almighty God. Isaiah chapter 7 as well. Let's go there. 7 verse 14. Therefore, the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, that would be Mary, and shall call his name Emmanuel. And Emmanuel means God among us or God with us. Butter and honey shall he eat that he may know to refuse the evil and choose the good. I tell you what, when I read that verse 15 for the first time, I was like, that's like what I've been teaching For so many years, it's like to refuse evil and choose the good. That's Even those words, I would say in a lot of my teachings. But that was before I knew Jesus. And it just amazed me when I saw that. Um, Obviously, I was missing the core component of Jesus. Nonetheless, he was always with me somehow, some way. Know that. I know that looking back now. Isaiah 9, verse 6 to 7. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. Kingdom, in other words. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And there is only one Prince of Peace, and that is Jesus. And God made many covenants with us. God made many covenants as i said even the covenant that still existed that he made with adam still stands today that we have to work for our food that we have to till the ground to get food the covenant that he made with moses still stands the covenant that he made with every single one of us through jesus christ stands and he made a covenant also with us that is yet to come which is the covenant of peace in here in when jesus returns with the new heaven and the new earth Of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David, hello, once again, it's always the throne of David, and he is comes from the seed of David. Born in Bethlehem, born in Jesse, born of a virgin, all of that is prophesied as well. And upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice, correct, from henceforth, even forever. And that's right, when he returns and sits on his throne, He will have separated the wheat from the tares and only those who love God will be in his kingdom. And everyone who chose the alliance to Satan and chose the mark of the beast shall be sent to their their judgment. From henceforth, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Do you understand? He's saying the passion of the Lord of armies will perform this. God is passionate too. Where's your passion for God? This is what I was saying, that we're returning to a book of Acts kind of faith and a David kind of faith. Like that's what God's looking for. He searches your heart. He doesn't look at your outward appearance. He looks at your heart. How much do you love him? How much do you actually, are you on fire for God? God. How much do you think, like, want to, to please him? How much do you want to be close to him? How much do you understand the brittle, fleeting reality that is this life and what there is to actually come after all of this? And to understand that you bearing fruit is how you glorify your father in heaven. And there's that episode I did about bearing much fruit to glorify the Father, which you should listen to to understand that, about all the talents that God gives you, that you bear fruit with them. He's not expecting that. And yes, every one of us has talents. At least one being your actual gift of salvation. That is a talent. That is value. That is the ultimate value of life, being saved in Christ. And so what are you doing with it is what he's expecting to see ...as a returned service. Then we have Isaiah 61. Let's go there. Uh, Isaiah 61... ...verse 1, which was quoted by Jesus himself. So I'm reading to you from Isaiah the prophet... ...and you're going to hear Jesus saying it too. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me... ...because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings... Unto the meek he has sent me to bind up the broken-hearted to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of the vengeance of our God to comfort all that mourn to appoint them that mourn in Zion to give unto them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness that they might be called trees of righteousness the planting of the Lord, that he might be glorified. And that's also in Luke chapter 4, where Jesus says this himself, when he just begins his ministry. In verse 17, there was delivered to him the book of Isaiah, the prophet, what I just read to you out of. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book and he gave it again to the minister and sat down. And the eyes of everybody that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. So now everyone's looking at him like, Who's this guy? Like, how's he talking with such authority? How does he know how to teach with all this wisdom? And he began to say unto them, This day is the scripture fulfilled in your ears. And next, most important, what's important to God? Bearing witness. And all bear witness, bear him witness, and wondered, like they were admiring, the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, Is this not Joseph's son? And he's, again, because they're assuming he's just this plain guy. And as I said, you'll notice nobody ever comments anything about Jesus's appearance because he wasn't comely to look unto. And also, I honestly don't know where all this comes from, where people actually think that they can have literal pictures and images of what Jesus looked like. I mean, how? Like, that's not even the point, I don't know how many times God has to, like, I really feel for God when, since the beginning, he's trying to explain to you that he does not want you to worship graven images, including images of himself. He says, you shall not make any graven image like unto me or like unto anything made with gold, silver, wood, whatever. Understand this. This really came to me the other day when I was just, like, walking. I was like, oh, right, yeah. He gives you the word of God because guess what? You can't worship words. You can't worship like looking at words. Like, you don't end up, what I mean by that is, you can't idolize words. You idolize images. Do you understand? So, God is always reasoning with you, okay, through his word. He's literally reasoning with you. Like, he's using your God-given human intellect to reason with you. And people are going around making images to worship and idolize. And he's like, that's exactly what I don't want you to do, because that's called vanity. It's called vain. It's empty, it's pointless, it's fruitless. And so it's amazing to me that people will still find a way to worship an image, an idol. It's almost like people have to look at an image to worship No, you don't. That's also why people worship celebrities in massive stadiums. What do people do when they're listening to music and watching a a, a person performing on stage? They lift up their hands, their palms to the sky, close their eyes, sing along. That's worship. You're worshipping an idol. And yet God gives you his word and he says, I'm the only one you are to worship, but you worship him in spirit and in truth. It means you don't look upon a picture And then worship God and say, oh, you picture of God, I worship you. Including any image you make of Jesus. He never gave us a picture of himself. And again, even in the scriptures, you'll notice, nobody talked about how he looked. Ever. Because it wasn't about how he looked. Just like Isaiah 53 tells us, it had nothing to do with how he looked. It wasn't to to prove to you that it had nothing to do with him gaining favour in the sight of people's faces because he was preferred or highly esteemed or extremely good looking or attractive or whatever. It was like, no, he was literally the least likely person you would ever consider. That's why they're also saying to you, isn't this Joseph's son? Like, who's this guy? Like, where, where does he come up with all this like wisdom like that he's talking? Because you're supposed to focus on the wisdom of the word and not worship and idolize an image. Understand? Including an image of man, a person And he said unto them, you will surely say unto me this proverb, physician, heal yourself whatsoever we have heard done in the Kapanaum. Do also here in thy country. So here they're going to be like, he's saying, you're going to ask me to prove like you, things to you with miracles. But he's saying the reason, the very reason, because they're asking him to prove with their scepticism, nobody shall be healed because you require faith to be healed. You require faithfulness to God to be healed. It, that's what love, like the, that's that mystical, um, supernatural aspect of love that heals. It's literally another, uh, such a common and easy example I can give you to make this make sense for you. Is like, you know, when people absolutely love, uh, I don't know, going home for the weekend or something to uh, experience their pet mother's cooking. And they're like, nothing can beat my mother's cooking because it's just made with the absolute love. How does it make sense, right? Ingredients are the same, the way they make it the same. No, it's the love part that made it taste so good. That's the kind of thing I'm saying, like when God is saying, like your faith in him shows you how much you love him and how much you rely on him in your spirit, not because he looks good, not because he can do anything specific for you, not because it makes you look good in front of others, but because you trust him and love him and you know that he is the truth. Then he's like, watch, then watch, watch how your faith will heal you. Watch how your faith will actually bring about miracles. You'll see. And that's when then Jesus explained to them in in an entire city where people were like lame and and blind and needed healing and stuff. He said nobody was healed because they didn't believe. And except one person, uh, Isaiah, for example, was sent unto Sarepta, city of Sidon, unto a woman that was one widow, like one woman. And it says many lepers were in Israel in the time of uh, Isaiah, the prophet, and none of them were cleansed except Naaman, the Syrian And he's saying, again, it's not because you are an Israelite or a Jew here that you are just a given that you're going to be healed or whatever. He's like, your faith is what makes you whole. Your dedication and loyalty to God, where is it? You don't have it. You're sitting here with skepticism saying, what can this God do for me? He can't do anything, so let me go to this idol instead. It's very important. needed to point that out. So, continuing, in Luke chapter 4, verse 32 and 35, I've got here as well, what have I said? And they were astonished at his doctrine, for his his word was with power. That's right, because Jesus has all power and authority now, all of it. And in the synagogue, there was a man which had a spirit of an unclean devil and cried out with a loud voice. So the the demons instantaneously recognised him. You have to understand this. Saying, leave us alone. What have we to do with you, O Jesus of Nazareth? Are you come to destroy us? I know you, who you are, the Holy One of God. Like, they just knew who he was because of the the spiritual realm that we cannot see in which we require faith because it is unseen, but it's very much real and it's there. In that spiritual realm, there is a literal structure. There is an entire system of government. There is an entire kingdom and God says the word. It's like Jesus's name in everything is like the ultimate command. So they just knew like, Jesus, what are you doing here? Have you come to already reprimand us before our time? We know who you are, the Holy One of God. Like they just knew. Not because he was a physical man walking on the earth, but because they knew who he was in spirit. And Jesus rebuked him saying, hold your peace, as in be quiet. Don't say that and come out of him. And when the devil had thrown in the midst, he came out of him and hurt him not. So he's like telling them, don't uh, reveal who I am. Why was he saying that? Again, because he was like totally humbled. He was totally to himself. He came to teach and preach the word of the gospel to preach that the kingdom of God is at hand and that people need to repent and be saved. And te- he was teaching all the scriptures and teaching everybody what it means to fear the Lord, what it means to keep his commandments, what it means to believe on the su- his son who he sent. Okay, teaching all of those things. And he needed to do all of that up until the point in time that he would be uh, persecuted and um sacrificed on the cross and anybody all of these demons that were calling out and saying that he was the son of God like could have changed something or could have like messed it up right so then he said the same thing you see it in verse 41 in the same chapter devils came out of many crying out so as devils were coming out because he was rebuking the devils or the demons to come out of these people which of course they have to because they have to listen to his command everyone including satan has to listen to God's command saying, you are Christ, the Son of God. And the rebuking, and he rebuking them, suffered them not to speak. So he said, he didn't let them speak, for they knew that he was Christ. They knew that he was Christ. Verse 43, he said unto them, I must preach the kingdom of God to other cities also, for therefore am I sent. He had a clear mission. A clear mission in the first coming, and he has a clear mission in his second coming. And that is all laid out to us in scripture, which is why none of us is with excuse. None of us. Okay. Isaiah chapter 63. Let's go there. Verse 1 to 5. Who is he that comes from Edom with dyed garments from Bosra? This that is glorious in his apparel, travelling in the greatness of his strength. Now this is talking about his second coming. Do you see how different it sounds to the first one? Because this again, this will sound familiar to you when you read all of the scriptures. You're like, oh, that sounds familiar. That sounds like Jesus' second coming when he comes, when he comes down from the clouds, riding his white horse, ready to conquer, ready to rule. And then it says, I that speak in righteousness, mighty to save. That's God speaking, by the way. So he's like, who's this coming down? He's like, I that speak in righteousness, mighty to save. That's right. Jesus, the king. Wherefore art thou red in your apparel? Like, why are your clothes red and your garments like him that treads in the wine fats? So he's like, he's basically his clothes have got blood all over them. Okay. I have trodden the winepress alone and of the people there was none with me. None, I will tread them in my anger and trample them in my fury. This is talking about God's wrath that he will serve in the judgment during the tribulation when he pours out all the vials. And their blood shall be sprinkled upon my garments and I will stain all my clothing. For the day of vengeance is in my heart and the year of my redeemed is come. Who are his redeemed? Everyone who's saved again, saved, born again. And what's the day of his vengeance? the day that he does come to actually avenge all the saints. And we see that in Revelation chapter 19, verse 13. Let's go there. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood. And his name is called the word of God. Okay. And he comes out of his mouth, goes a sharp sword and with it, he should smite the nations and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he treads the wine press of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And so going back, because I looked, and there was none to help, and I wondered that there was none to uphold, therefore my own arm brought salvation unto me, and my fury it upheld me. And that, I believe, is reference to Revelation chapter five, verse two and three. where it says, I saw a strong angel proclaiming with avowed noise, who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof? And no man in heaven nor in earth, neither under the earth, was able to open the book, neither to look upon it. And I wept very much because no man was found worthy to open and to read the book, neither to look thereon. "'But then one of the elders said to me, "'Weep not, behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, "'the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book "'and to loose the seven seals thereof, "'which is, of course, Jesus Christ. a Lamb. "'There stood a lamb as it had been slain, "'having the seven horns and seven eyes, "'which are the seven spirits of God, "'sent forth into all the earth. "'And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him "'that sat upon the throne, which is God the Father. "'And when he had taken the book, The four beasts and the four and twenty elders fell down from before the land, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odours, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. And you made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. (laughs) Oh my God, okay, continuing So there's more. Uh, Isaiah 65, I told you this was me just like, this isn't all of them, this is just Isaiah. Isaiah 65, 8 to 16. Thus said the Lord, as the new wine is found in the cluster, and as one says, destroy not, so destroy not the old wine as you find a new one in the cluster, for a blessing is in it. So will I do for my servant's sakes. That I may not destroy them all. So he's like at the end when he does the harvest, instead of destroying everyone, he's going to ensure that his redeemed are saved. And I will bring forth a seed out of Jacob and out of Judah, an inheritor of my mountains and my elect shall inherit it, and my servants shall dwell therein. And Sharon pit shall be a fold of flocks, and the valley of Achor a place for the herds to lie down, for my people that have sought me but you are they that forsake the lord that forget my holy mountain that prepare a table for that troop and that furnish the drink offering unto that number that's referring to the antichrist his army that comes to literally fight against jesus in the end in the tribulation and when it says offering unto that number that's the people that pledge their allegiance to the antichrist and take the mark of the beast that's in isaiah isaiah chapter 65 and then we have Isaiah 66, verse 5. Hear the word of the Lord, you that tremble at his word, your brethren that hated you, that cast you out for my name's sake, said, Let the Lord be glorified, but he shall appear to your joy, and they shall be ashamed. Interesting. We're in Isaiah here. Nobody in Isaiah, like nobody, sorry, before Jesus was being persecuted and martyred for God's name. It is only in Jesus' name that people are persecuted and martyred. You understand? And here we are in Isaiah, chapter 66, verse 5. Hear the word of the Lord, you that tremble at his words, and you that fear the Lord, you God's people. Your brothers and sisters that hate you, so those that forsake you, right? That hate you because of me, what did Jesus say? If the world hates you, they hated me first. That cast you out, so those that like abandoned you or betrayed you or, or uh, um, banished you for my name's sake, said, let the Lord be glorified, but he shall appear to your joy, and they to the, to, to their shame. and that is the second resurrection, which is that he will appear to their shame. Which is that they will have to face the Lord in the judgment at the great white throne to eternal damnation. But his saints shall be resurrected in the first resurrection and their, and their vengeance shall be served through the Lord. An amazing one. Then I've got here as well uh, Psalm 22. Let's go to some of the Psalms. And this isn't even all the Psalms. Again, none. this is barely touching the surface, but there's quite a lot here. There's quite a lot here. Psalm 22. As Jesus said these words on the cross, and this is a Psalm of David. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me and from the words of my roaring? Within that same Psalm, we have a prophecy Uh, various prophecies. Let me go through a few of them. Verse five, they cried unto you and were delivered. They trusted in you and were not confounded. So when you cry unto the name of Jesus and you trust in Jesus, you shall be saved. Verse eight, he trusted on the Lord that he would deliver him. Let him deliver him, seeing that he delights in him. And it says, verse 16, for dogs have compassed me about. The assembly of the wicked have enclosed me; they pierced my hands and my feet. When Jesus was hung on the cross, they literally put nails into his hands and into his feet to hang him on the cross. What else is this going to reference? Like this didn't even exist back then. This was a tradition that came in later on to. Um, to like hang people on crosses like that were uh, considered guilty of some crime or whatever. That, that didn't exist in the times of David in these Psalms. So, so what is he even saying when he say they pierced my hands and my feet? Like literal prophecy of Jesus. I may tell all my bones they look and stare upon me on the cross. Listen to this now. They part my garments among them and cast lots upon my vesture. That's exactly what they did just before they put him up as they were mocking him before they took him onto the cross. uh, They literally did cost lots. Basically, they were like trading as to who would get his clothing Uh, and then they like clothed him with like royal clothing and they were mocking him like, oh, look, it's the King Jesus. And then like, why don't you save yourself now? And again, because he wasn't supposed to save himself, he came to save us, including those very people that were torturing him. Psalm 49 also showing a precursor for the redemption through Jesus' blood. From verse 6 in Psalm 49, they that trust in their wealth and boast themselves in the multitude of their riches, none of them can by any means redeem his brother nor give to God a ransom for him. As in there's no price high enough to redeem yourself or anybody else. Like, there's nothing you can give God that is acceptable to his justice and judgment. Jesus is the only way. There's a reason that that's what he says. For the redemption of their soul is precious, and it seizes forever, that he should still live forever and not see corruption. For he that sees wise men die, likewise the fool and the brutish person perish, and leaves their wealth to others going down to verse 15. But God will redeem my soul from the power of the grave, for he shall receive me. Be not thou afraid when one is made rich, when the glory of his house is increased, for when he dies he shall carry nothing away. His glory shall not descend after him. Though while he lived, he blessed his soul, and men will praise you when you do well for yourself. But he shall go to the generation of his fathers. They shall never see the light. Man that is in honour and understands not is like the beast that perishes. Which is the reprobate mind and referring back to you that Jesus is the only way to be saved. The redemption of their soul is precious and seizes forever. And none of them can by any means redeem his brother nor give to God a ransom for him. But God will redeem my soul from the power of the grave for he shall receive me. And also in Proverbs 30, let's go there. Proverbs 30, verse 4. Who hath ascended up into heaven or descended? Who has gathered the wind in his fists? Who has bound the waters in a garment? Who has established all the ends of the earth? What is his name? And what is his son's name, if you can tell? I mean, that was in the year 930-ish B.C., A thousand years before Christ, you've got King Solomon saying, what's God's name and what's his son's name? (laughs) I mean, it just gets more, I'm like so excited. Like, and this is literally, I barely just went through, I only really showed you what was in Isaiah and not all of what was in Isaiah. And I'm just showing you a few cross, cross references in some of the Psalms and a proverb. And then also towards in the New Testament where Jesus himself was showing the fulfill- the fulfillment of that and also what's still to come in a second coming in book of revelation now let's also see in in Matthew chapter 3 let's go there Matthew 3 11 to 12 hmm so this is also with regards to when you are born again in Jesus Christ, the fact that you will be tried through the fire is what he calls the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So the whole purifying you at the fire, which is also when Paul talks about you will be, we will all be tried in the fiery furnace when he returns. And anything that's left after the fire has burned up all of our nonsense okay all that's not good it will be burnt up and anything that's left is our good fruits and anything that's left is therefore what we shall be rewarded for so that's why he's saying bear much fruit in this my father is glorified and there is rewards there is an entire kingdom there is a whole eternal life after this don't lose sight of that in this earthly world Matthew chapter 3, verse 11. I indeed baptise you. This is John the Baptist speaking. I indeed baptise you with water unto repentance. But he that comes after me is mightier than I. Talking about Jesus again, and he was also prophesying and Jesus came. Whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptise you with the Holy Spirit and with fire whose fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly purge his floor and gather his wheat into the garner, but he will burn up the chaff with the unquenchable fire. Okay? So, like, the Holy Spirit burns, it's a burning fire within you, and it's constantly sanctifying you. Sanctification means God's going to correct you because he chastises, he disciplines who he loves. So you're going to be burned and tried in the fire. And he's going to come to see, is your lamp, have you got a lot of oil stored within you? Is your lamp burning strong for him when he returns? Even if you've happened to be wearied out, even if it's, you've gone through a lot of tribulation, are you still keeping his word and not denying the name of Jesus, as he says to the church of Philadelphia? Very important. In Hebrews chapter 12, Let's go there, verse 27. Hebrews 12, 27. And this word, yet once more, signifies the removing of those things that are shaken, as of the things that are made, so of creation of what is physically manifest removing the things that are shaken so that are not stable in Christ, that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. Again, burning up in the fire that which is no good, that which is a lie, that which is evil and bad fruit, and leaving only that which is pure and good and holy. Wherefore, we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. For our God is a consuming fire. Again, talking about fire. You will be tried in the fire. I told you in the other episode from Ecclesiastes that life is going to have turmoil and trouble and for us to actually eat the fruit of our own work and our own hands, that is our portion. That is what we should be satisfied with and we should be spending every single day living to glorify God. From our own desire to. I don't say should be as in like, that's what you must do. No, because you actually, are, being born again means you want to do that, as did David. You want to dance before the Lord with all your might, as David did before the Ark of the Covenant. You want to be singing in Psalms to him. You want to be constantly in his words. You want to be, you're thinking about him all the time. He's the first one you think about when you go to sleep or when you wake up. He's the one you think about during the day. He's the one you miss when you're at work. Is the one you miss when you're like, you know, all that kind of stuff. Because he is like literally everything. Because God is good and God is perfect. And you realise that everything, all of this, all of existence is for him. As it says in Revelation, all things were made for him and for his pleasure they were made. (laughs) And as it says in Hebrews 13 verse 15. By Him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to His name. But to do good, to do good, and to communicate, forget not, for which such sacrifices God is well pleased. <laughs> and we also have uh, Hebrews 12:27, and Revelation 3:18, let's go there. Revelation three eighteen to twenty one. I counsel you. This is God speaking to the church of Laodiceans. I counsel you to buy of me. So God's like buy from me, okay? Gold tried in the fire. Hello again. This is gold tried in the fire. Baptism of the Holy Spirit. Try of me gold that's been tried in the fire that's been tested in the fire that thou mayest be rich and white clothing that you may be clothed, and that the shame of your nakedness does not appear, and anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and I chasten. Be zealous therefore, meaning be passionate therefore, and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and I will sup with him and he with me. It's personal. It's personal. That's personal. You're sitting together having dinner. You know the person. You don't invite just any person to have dinner with you. To him that overcomes will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and sat down with my father in his throne. He that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Mm Mm-hmm. Matthew 26, verse 53, let's go there, Matthew, Matthew 26, 53 to 56. Think. Do you think that I cannot now pray to my Father? So this is Jesus explaining as well again, like he came to fulfill a specific will of God that first time he came. So he's explaining here, like, do you not think that if I wanted to, I could just stop everybody from trying to kill me right now, right? Think thou, think you not that I cannot now pray to my father and he shall presently give me more than 12 legions of angels? He's like, do you not think that right now I could have 12 legions of angels come up here and just, like, destroy this whole place right now? Just, like, totally knock all you out, right? But how then shall the scriptures be fulfilled That thus it must be. You understand? In that same hour, Jesus said to the multitude, Are you come now out as against as a thief with swords and staves to to take me? I sat daily with you teaching in the temple and you laid not hold on me. Exactly. If you read all the Gospels, you'll notice that every time, like he was gathered by huge multitudes of people, every time the Pharisees or the Sadducees or the government or whatever got angry and wanted to come and kill him, He got away because it wasn't his time to die yet. It wasn't the time yet to be fulfilled. So God was always ensuring that they weren't getting a hold of him somehow, like he had an escape route. And this is the same thing he promises us, by the way, where he says he'll keep us from the hour of temptation, like he won't lead us directly into the trial and tribulation if we're faithful to him and we don't deny his name until whatever our time destined is. But all this was done that the scripture of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples forsook him and fled. I mean, and again, even just because it is prophetic and has to be, doesn't mean that it's easy to, to deal with. Could you imagine having to actually go through these things in those moments? That's why in his also like having to experience physical humanity and physical pain and everything and be perfectly sinless, he still had a prayer to the father saying, if by any other way this can be can like can you let this cup pass from me the cup of his wrath cuz he knew what was waiting for him could you imagine knowing like exactly how you're going to die and how and it being so gruesome and it being you being completely innocent and not deserving any of it like how good of a like how good he is like you must understand this and so Just because he knew, just because he knew how it was going to be, doesn't mean that's easy to go through. Because it says, then all the disciples forsook him and left. Left. Imagine that. Then everyone just abandoned him. You think that hurts? Everyone like, yeah, I'm with you to the death, man. Yeah, Jesus, like, I'll die for you. And then they run off the moment he's like, the scripture has to be fulfilled. I have to go up to the cross. And they're like, instead of them being like still with him, they decided, well, may as well serve, save my life then and run off because, again, we're humans. So, like, living through these things is a whole other thing in itself, you know. That's why you've got to see, like, when you're seeing prophecy being fulfilled as well, it's like it's to the level how incredibly awesome God's word is. You must understand. That's my whole point of doing this episode. It's not I'm not here to convince anyone of Jesus being real or of Jesus being... Uh, the Christ and the Messiah, because I know, and he's not some cheap sales pitch. I've said that to you before. Either you're genuinely seeking to learn and that's why you're here for these teachings, or or not, right? I'm not here to like trying to convince people, please, please accept it. No, it's an honour. It's an absolute honour to know Jesus. And you are to approach him with reverence and respect and not to be like, well, why should I? Why should I bother knowing him? Why should I bother? Like, no. I don't want to know people like that if that's how you're behaving. That's a disgrace. He is not a cheap sales pitch. He's not this watered down, weird message that people have putting out there, again, with some picture of him. I don't know what version of Jesus these people have. Trying to sell a version of him that's not real. Read the scriptures and you'll know who he is. Extremely incredible, perfect being. Our Lord and Saviour, King of King. Every single Principality, dominion, spirit, angel, demon, human, animal, earth itself, the heavens, everything trembles at his name and has to do as he says. Because his word trumps everything. That's how powerful his name is. And again, I know from personal experience that that is the truth. Jesus' name trumps everything. His the power in his name alone, the authority in his name is absolutely awe-inspiring and incredible because his kingdom is a kingdom, it's a system, it's set up in a way that there is structure, there is leadership, there is responsibilities. And we ultimately will eventually somehow be part of that. In the millennial kingdom and in eternity, in the new heaven and new earth, You're not just going to be floating around in nothingness. Understand this. God is very meticulous and proper and he's holy and he's perfect. Think about how perfect his kingdom is then. Praise the Lord. Then I've got here Mark chapter 10. What have I got for Mark chapter 10? Verse 42 to 45. But Jesus called them to him and said unto them, you know that they which are accounted to rule over the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. So he's talking about here, this is how the heathen, this is how the Gentiles, like this is how humanity governs humanity by force, by lordship. They exercise authority, meaning that it's this rulership and uh, dictatorship and tyranny. That's how humans rule. That's how man-made law works, that's how man-made polit- politic and government works. God doesn't work like that. He has a kingdom, He has rulership, but he doesn't work like that. And that's why Jesus said, then said to them, "But so shall it not be among you. But whosoever will be great among you shall be your minister, and whosoever of you will be chiefest shall be servant of all." He's talking about servant leadership. For even the Son of Man, Jesus, came not to be ministered unto. He came not to be served, right? But he came to serve, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. So serve with the the heart of giving and not with a desire to rule and to overbear people. Extremely important because that's, again, what people are assuming what it means to be in high authority or power. No, it's not. The humbler you are, the more authority and power you have. We see that also in his various legions of angels. Mark 12 also from, what have I got here? Mark 12, 1 to 11. And he began to speak unto them by parables. A certain man planted a vineyard and set a hedge about it and digged a place for a wine fat and built a tower and let it out to to uh, gardeners and went into a far country. You now, This is another parable he's telling, which is explaining basically everything that has happened throughout all of the history, the thousands of years, from Moses to the prophets and now up to what will happen to Jesus, that they will kill him and what will happen. And listen to how he explains it with this parable of a man that has a vineyard, he gives it to, to gardeners and he goes away to a far country. And as the season at the season, of the harvest, he sent to the gardeners a servant that he might receive from the gardeners the fruit of the vineyard. And they caught him and they beat him and sent him away empty. And that was, he's talking about the prophets here. So they would take him and anytime someone spoke God's word, they hated the prophet, they beat the prophet, they rejected the prophet. And again, he sent unto them another servant, and at him they cast stones and wounded him in the head and sent him away shamefully handled. And again, he sent another, and him they killed, and many others, beating some and killing some. Again, talking about his prophets. Having yet therefore one son, listen, having one son, his well-beloved, he sent him also last unto them. Did you hear that? Sent him last unto them saying, surely they will reverence my son. What did I tell you? It's your heart that has to change. And he said that if you're not going to be listening to prophets, if you're not going to listen to the fact that you have to sacrifice animals and that doesn't change your heart, the innocent animal has to die for you, surely my only begotten son, the sinless sinless man that came to die for you, surely that will change your heart, right? But those gardeners said among themselves, This is the hair, or this is the here, which is like the next in line to the throne. Come, let us kill him, and the inheritance shall be ours. And they took him and killed him and cast him out of the vineyard. Speaking of what they did to Jesus, or what they were going to do. Again, that's even Jesus speaking of himself prophetically. What shall therefore the lord of the vineyard do? So what shall like, the king of the vineyard do? What shall the, the person that owns the vineyard do after all of that? He will come and destroy the gardeners and will give the vineyard unto others. And he's talking about the second coming there. And he's talking about how the judgment will come and the wheat and the tares will be separated. And the wheats, which are... God's children, those who chose him, who are born again, shall be gathered into his barn, which shall be kept safe and protected by him. And the chaff shall be burned in the fire and shall be sent to judgment. Have you not read this scripture? The stone which the builders rejected is become the head of the corner. This was the Lord's doing and it is marvellous in his eyes. And that is again talking about Jesus, the stone. That the the builders refuse becomes the head of the corner. So everyone refuses Jesus, but he becomes the head of the corner. So that was Mark 12. And then I've got Matthew 10, 6 and 8. Let's go there as well. (laughs) Matthew 10, 6 to 8. But go rather, uh, so he says he's speaking to, this is when Jesus is speaking to his disciples. The twelve Jesus sent forth and commanded them, saying, Go not in the way of the Gentiles and into any city of the Samaritans, enter not. But go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So he's saying, again, not a physical country Israel. He means the lost sheep of Israel, his lost sheep. Those who hear God's word, okay? So when somebody tells you their testimony, when somebody tells you the word of God, when you hear somebody speaking and bearing witness in front of you with the Holy Spirit, you accepting that into your heart and saying, this is the truth, and that it convicts you, and you repent, and you turn to Jesus, you are part of the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Do you understand? And as you go, preach saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, Cast out devils, freely have you received, freely give, and that's what he tells all of us when you're born again, freely have you received, freely give, heal people, cleanse people, save people through the word of God. Romans chapter twelve, I put that as well with the gift gift of salvation we should be doing with it. I beseech you therefore, or I I beg you, therefore, right? Before that, we've got to go to Romans 11 and the last verses there. Romans 11, chapter 33. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. Like, how deep is the richness of the wisdom and the knowledge of God? Like, who can know it? How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out? Like, it's immeasurable. None of us can teach God anything new. He is almighty, all-knowing. For who hath known the mind of the Lord, or who hath been his counsellor? Meaning that, what does God, God owe any of us? Nothing. He owes nobody nothing. We owe him everything, including our lives. Or who has first given to him, that it shall be recompensed again unto him? Meaning that, again, he doesn't owe anyone anything. For of him, and through him, and to him, are all things to whom be glory forever. Amen. So of him, through him and to him are all things. What did I say to you in the beginning? Everything is about Jesus. That's the whole point. And you glorify the Father through Jesus Christ. Through your knowledge of Jesus and through your relationship with Jesus, you glorify the Father. And that's why he then says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, living, not dead, lazy, doing nothing, just waiting for this all to be over. A living sacrifice, active, passionate, alive, sparked, burning fire. A living sacrifice, holy. What does it mean to be holy? Set apart, not defiled, not perverted, holy acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. That's right, it's a reasonable service. It's not too much to ask for. It's not impossible to ask for. It is your reasonable service, reasonable. And be not conformed to this world, although the world will absolutely hate you. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed... By the renewing of your mind, and that is daily. You're daily renewing your mind through the sanctification of Christ. You renew your mind, that's why you continually read the word of God, because you're feeding yourself with spiritual food, renewing your mind continuously. God is continuously teaching you more things and showing you answers, showing you the way. Where can I be of service today, Lord? Sanctify me in this, Lord. Help me purify this in me. Help me shine your light through me that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So what does he mean when he says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove, meaning that through you, through your living sacrifice, holy and acceptable for God, as you walk the earth, you are living proof of what salvation in Christ is. Like you are living proof of what it means to be holy. You're living proof that God is real. You're living proof that Jesus is Lord. Because your entire life is testimony to how much you've changed. To how much your entire, the miracles he brings into your life. The, the, the way your, your entire renewal of mind has changed everything about how you view the world. And most importantly, it's changed your heart. To a heart that loves God. With all your heart, with all your mind and with all your strength, as is the first and most important commandment. And in that, you then love your neighbours, you love yourself, because love does not do ill, as it's said later in this chapter, but I'll get to that in a minute. So that you may prove, you are living proof, what is that good? What is the goodness of God? An acceptable and perfect will of God. For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God has dealt to every man the measure of faith. Measure of faith, by the way, again, what I tell you about the talents? Everyone gets talents, different measures of talents. And there is a measure of faith. David's measure of faith, absolutely impeccable, incredible, incredible. Slay the giant with a stone that he flicked between his forehead with no armour, no nothing, just ran towards him with the full faith of God. That's That takes courage, man. Courage, faith, trust, loyalty, all can be linked to the same meaning. And that's why he says in verse, in chapter 13... Uh, Verse 8, why do you think he says, Owe no man anything, like don't owe anyone anything, but to love one another, for he that loves another hath fulfilled the law. Now, this is the, that's the whole like overview, but then there's like the breaking down of the law, which is why people say things like, oh, the Ten Commandments don't exist anymore. Well, of course they do. Of course they do, because that explains how you love God and how you love others. It's really common sense. For this, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not kill, Thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, thou shalt not covet, which is to uh, envy, Thou, if there be any other commandment, it is briefly, and, and yes, there is others, it is briefly comprehended in the saying, namely, thou shalt love the neighbour as thyself. But hold on, what he says in the next verse is more important in understanding what that means. Again, it's not love as you define love, it's how God defines love. Verse 10, love works no ill to his neighbour. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law, meaning love does no harm to anybody, harmless. That's why he says, present yourself blameless before Christ when he returns. Just thought I'd ensure sure to add that in. And so with that, there's just so many more. Again, this is not it. I just went through only pretty much what was in Isaiah, but there's more. But the reason why I wanted to put this through so you can see everything is about glorifying God and you glorify in God through bearing much fruit that is wrought in Christ. And when, when God begins a work in you, he will finish what he began. It's called to be perfect. And perfect means not the way humans think about it, but means finished all the way. Finished all the way. That's actually in Revelation. I want to find that. Meaning to follow all the way through to the end. Which actually makes a lot of sense to when he's always saying in Revelation, he that endures to the end. That's why he's saying make yourself perfect, as in endure to the end. Follow through to the end, finish what you started. And he's saying God will finish what he started in you. That's what I'm saying. Like If you're actually truly born again, God won't forsake you. No matter what your external life is going on, or you think that like you stumbled a lot or whatever, like, God will finish the work in you if you continually call upon him and be as faithful as David was faithful. In chapter 3, when he writes to the angel of the church in Sardis, he says, I know your works, that you are have a name for yourself that you live, but you are dead. It's like it's a front. Be watchful. So it's the same as being lukewarm. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. As in, hold on to what I first taught you. Don't fall away. Don't forget Don't forget me. Don't forget the whole reason and purpose why you were born again in the first place. For I have not found your works perfect before God. Perfect meaning I have not found your works finished till the end. I have not found your works followed through, followed all the way, endure till the end. Remember therefore how you have received and heard and hold fast and repent. If therefore you shall not watch, I will come on you as a thief, and you shall not know what hour I will come upon you. So that's what he's saying, like, endure till the end. And that's also why in Revelation chapter 1, he tells us himself in verse 18, I am he, Jesus, that lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Yes, he is. In case you're wondering, Jesus is very much alive right now, here today. And I would very much suggest to you that you cry out to God, that you ask Jesus to reveal himself to you, that you repent of your sins, that you may be saved. And have the keys of hell and of death. Write the things which you have seen, and the things which are, and the things which shall be hereafter. The mystery of the seven churches which you saw in my right hand and the seven golden candlesticks, the seven stars of the angels of the seven churches and the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches. And this is when he then goes into the message to all, basically all the believers or so-called believers. That's why I said we're returning to a time now, the book of Acts, which either you are a true believer or you're not. Luke, warm and cold is the same thing. You're hot or you're not. And here's another... Prophecy aspect as well, where it's the same chapter, first one, Revelation, where he says in verse 7 Behold, he comes with clouds, and every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him. He was pierced in his side by them as well at the end after he was hanged. They pierced him in his side. And all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. Even so, Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega the beginning and the ending, said the Lord, which is and which was and which is to come, the Almighty. And so know and understand, as he says as well in chapter 3 of Revelation, as he says and calls himself in verse 14, these things says the, the Amen. Yes, that's right, the Amen. When you say Amen, it's, he's the Amen. The faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. That's Jesus. I mean what an introduction. That that is who he is. Jesus is King of Kings, Lord of Lords. Jesus is the Almighty Ruler of all. He is the Son of God, and God the Father has given him all dominion. And every knee shall bow, and every tongue shall confess that he is Lord. Ensure that you are doing that, with all the goodness and hope in your heart, whilst the times are good whilst you are alive and we're not in tribulation, because you don't want to be doing that in the tribulation, during all of the plagues and the wrath of God. But even so, when it comes to that point, I don't know where people's hearts are to still want to blaspheme God in seeing all of the truth of His word and His glory, which I think is why, in the end, it ultimately just shows who you are. It shows whether your heart is a heart of God or your heart is wicked whether you're the seed of Jesus or the seed of Satan. And that means from your heart, not like physically bloodline. It means like, who does your heart belong to? Does it belong to God or does it belong to this world? Choose wisely. And until next time, God willing, all glory be to the one true living God, Yahweh, and his only begotten Son, Son, come Lord Jesus. Amen.